The metaverse is going crazy with Meta dropping billions for 37 daily active users. But what about the other crypto metaverses? How is the sandbox doing? And what is it that we're developing on there? This is the Engineering IRL Podcast, a place for engineers in the real world. We try to break down engineering concepts and figure out how to apply them to real life. Let's become better problem solvers, better engineers. This is your host, Andrew Sario. Let's begin. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Engineering IRL Podcast for engineeringinreallife.com. I am your host, Andrew Sario, and this is revision 49 of the show. So today we'll get into a little bit about blockchain game development, uh, particularly with the sandbox. And I'll just be doing the normal format here and going through some questions and then that'll kind of guide us through. So the first one is, what's the difference between normal games and blockchain games? So the key difference is at the end of the day, they're all gaming. Um, uh, actual games or platforms so you'll see a couple of categories come up one is specific games that will connect to a platform in order to facilitate um, items in the game let's say and they want unique items right so they'll use the nft technology so that you can have specific uh, items that are developed so you've seen this in you imagine you play a game like pokemon or something where you collect items typically that's just like a digital item and you know it's a quantity of one or whatever it is they can with this technology make unique ones so you might have a specific item that only you have um, and if they're clever about it they try to give you specific stats so you might set up an item that gives you a range of let's say it has a property of damage so you could have 10 damage to 20 damage and then what they do is they randomize it so say five pe uh, ten people get the swords um when you open, when you uh, unlock your one, you'll get the version of it that has the plus three damage, and someone else will have the plus ten damage, and the rarer ones will usually go more, or go for more when you sell it on the marketplace because it's, you know, it's a it's a stronger version of that same item, um, and then you you have ownership of the items, and then therefore when you transfer it across accounts and things like that, it's you're selling just that one version of that item. That's, that's one way it's implemented. The other one is, and the ones we'll get to, is more of a platform base. So they provide developers and game developers entire uh, uh, gaming platforms with which they can focus on just developing the games and the items that make it unique. And you'll see more with the examples that I go through here. Um, but that, that that's the key difference. At the end of the day, they're all kind of uh, the same, right, in terms of the concept, but they unlock a new level of uniqueness and itemization uh, for the player so another example you might compare something to like roblox or minecraft where they have pretty much an entire metaverse in a sense nothing to do with crypto they're all against not necessarily against crypto but they are not going to implement uh, crypto backend it's a centralized location where they decide what you know a robux is worth and what items you can get for it and they control that marketplace so the disadvantage for individual players is well they've got control they you know they delete your account they delete your items uh, or they change they they impact their own economy and you just have no choice um, and with the blockchain ones the idea is that the company doesn't own the items that you have the items belong to your wallet to you obviously at the end of the day they can change it so their games don't use those particular items but that's kind of against the entire purpose of it right okay so the next question is the metaverse legit so 
I think in many ways, it's one of those terms that it becomes, you know, this tech term that everyone goes away and runs with it. Talk, it means something different to different people. But long story short, a lot of these games create to their own universes. You think about like the Harry Potter series, you know, there's the Harry Potter verse. And even within individual games, there's their own particular verse there, their own universe. They have their own characters and things that you can explore. Um, so you think about something like Fortnite or something like um, GTA 5, where they've got entire universes where communities and, you know, developers are on there creating worlds within worlds that you can, as players, participate in outside of the main storyline. So I think from a conceptual perspective, that part of the metaverse is kind of already here. Um, but the way that you might think of the, the marketing of what the metaverse is, it's this alternate human verse, like alternative to in real life, where people will meet and do things other than gaming. So that's kind of what Meta is doing. They're focusing on, you know, like, let's go to Paris together as a group and you have your little avatars or let's have a meeting within the metaverse. All those things are legit in that sense. Where I think uh, that whole concept goes awry is when you're like thinking about the metaverse as, you know, this whole new place where people go and then, real life deteriorates i don't think that's necessarily the case when you watch uh movies like ready player one and where that's going i think technology is definitely going there with an immersive experience but on many levels we kind of already do that so i don't think it's gonna um be the downfall of of the way people interact in uh necessarily um as it is going to be another way in which to communicate with other people or to interact with the world i do think that gaming as it is is a microcosm for real life which i think is really cool um you know you get to really know someone in a game you don't know them quite as much as you think you know them and then you play you know you start gaming with them even at a more competitive level you can see people's personalities come out all right so then the next question is why the sandbox and say versus mana or other types of you know, cryptoverse type metaverses or blockchain metaverses. And for me, the decision came <clears throat> to a couple things. So one is, the one question you have to ask yourself is, is there actually a platform where it can go and create stuff and people can already log in and do things? And the sandbox ticks that box. Mana does as well. I think they've got some, some decent platform there. But what I found with the sandbox, it was, I guess, a lot more accessible. I think the, the whole style of doing what Minecraft's doing or Roblox is doing with, hey, this is the level of graphics. So they've decided to go with these voxels. So you see these um, uh, like square type characters uh, or, you know, made up of blocks. Like it's not this high def thing. Um, I think the simplicity matters more because a lot of these games, it's not really about the graphics per se. And I think that would slow things down. It's about establishing the platform and making a place where people want to go and discover and play games. That's that's one of the things. Um, <clears throat> the other thing that the sandbox I found had was the community seemed pretty active and there was a lot of support for it. Uh, developing the worlds was pretty easy. I could get their um, install files pretty straightforwardly. Um, and within like minutes, you're already kind of creating a world and you can play test it and things like that. It is missing things. Don't get me wrong. I can go into detail about any one of those things since I've been developing on there. But I think generally as a platform, it exists, which is great. It's an alpha. They've got big events and things like that. Um, there's a way to actively contribute that doesn't really have a high wall. Um, you can see as well, they have active partnerships that I think 
look really promising in the sense that, you know, they're big companies. I don't know if they've got it right in the sense that, like, if you want to go to Louis Vuitton's world, like, people that are into Louis Vuitton, are they want to go? Are they wanting to go there and see stuff? And I think from a... There is no Louis Vuitton game, let's say. So it's kind of cool to go into a verse where they are creative people have put up, you know, there's like galleries. It's like an art gallery. You can go there and have a look. Um, the potential there is, you know, things can grow and lead into interacting with the real world. I think that when it comes to the whole land purchasing thing, I'm not sure about at the moment, the way it works with the land is like you purchase land okay you can actually go to any plot of land it's just an it's just an id at the end of the day and then the question is well why is there more premium land like why would i want to buy a block of land next to snoop dog right and functionally it's the same size and you could buy one on the outskirts of town where like at the edges of the map where there's nothing else there for significantly cheaper and the answer is they also have a facility where you can actually walk between worlds so imagine it's a grid on a page if you go to the north exit, the south exit, the east or the west, you actually go, you can actually enter that other experience. So I think if you think of it from a foot traffic perspective, there's a large chance that you would increase the people that visit your site and depending on how oh, your your world, depending how you decide to monetize that, then that's what that's what uh, obviously is valued. Um, I think for the purposes of what I'm doing is I just want to create a world um, and so it doesn't matter how users get there per se. Okay, um, so that's a, a bit about their partnerships. You can see them growing and reaching, you know, a lot of stuff in culture. So there's a lot of companies, you know, they got the K, K poppy type stuff at the moment. You know, they had the early Walking Dead stuff. They've got plenty of partnerships that you go, okay, they got big banking. They got all sorts of stuff that it's a low barrier to entry, but it looks like they're doing the right things. And then what about our partnership? So there is a program that they have where you can apply for, um, you can basically pitch them here's the game or the verse uh, that I'm creating um, and see if you can get a potential partnership you know we're going through that partnership process um, it's a little bit challenging because you do need to dedicate a fair amount of time there's like now as you can see like there's complete teams that are doing it the positive thing is um, let's say you're going through the partnership process even if they don't decide to partner with you which is they'll give you a bunch of sand or money to help you and resources to help you kind of get your world out there it's not a barrier to entry in the sense that i can still go and create that you just if you own land you can put whatever you want on it and if that's a full game experience where people can purchase things from you or um just a you know like a, a nice world go and see my world type exploration thing you can do that there's no hard barrier there which is great so then the next question is how is it hard to make games on the sandbox? What's the good? What's the bad? All that sort of stuff. So I, th I think on the outset, very the barrier to entry is very low. So that's the good thing. It's easy to make games on the sandbox. The question is, if you're thinking, oh, so I can make a good game on the sandbox and away I go, yes and no. So if you can't make a good game, then it's not going to be a good game. The sandbox inherently doesn't make the games good or bad, right? In, in fact... It, it can limit you in certain things because you're beholden to the features that they have. So I pitched actually an early idea um, around uh, around um, a multiplayer concept that they just don't have the facility for. So they're not going to be able to um, implement that version of the game. I had to pivot and you know pitch kind of different ideas. And also that was me going in a little bit too hard too early without understanding what it is that the Sandbox platform offers. 
And I did a bit more research by playing more of the experiences that are out there already to try. Okay, so the good thing is it's a low barrier to entry. Um, their world builder is very good. You can, you know, just clicking a few buttons, you can start building your world. They give you a few templates to start with. So you can have a character in a game, you know, within minutes kind of thing. And then they have enough functions in there for you to build out a typical game, let's say. So there's a lot of the typical functions you're not going to have to write. You don't have to write a single bit of code. It certainly helps to understand how to code in terms of how functions and interactions work. But you don't actually need any code to do anything here, which is great. Um, the other good thing is their character builder. So their NFT builder is built on these voxels that I mentioned earlier, which essentially are little blocks um, they're like a one-by-one one block in which you can create individual characters based up of these mini voxels. So that's why you only get up to a certain resolution on characters. They're very square and blocky. However, the other advantage is that voxel thing is not a sandbox thing. So you can use voxels and put them, port them into your own 3D games in the future, or you can even port them into Minecraft-type games. So when you make some IP, you make some characters, you keep the voxel files, which is, I think, also the good thing. In terms of the bad... Some of these are going to be unfair because it's alpha, meaning it's very early days. But um, what I found is in your when you develop experiences, like if you're actually coding something, you can copy and paste your files and keep them and reproduce them. You can't do that in the sandbox. So you can't take your experience, copy and paste it to a slightly different version and another version somewhere else and edit them and, and all that stuff. So I think that part of it is a bit of a challenge. There are some buggy things and some limited inter interactions. So... There's certain functions that you can't do or they can't do well. And then so you have to use uh, use some of the tools they do have, uh, not inappropriately, but like not their optimal way or not the way they're intended to be used just to get some of the functions that you want. And some of these are just, you know, when you have multiple triggers um, or if you want to drive a storyline or the way you do the respawners, they're all functional and they all work, but there are a lot of like s tricky hacks that you need to do. Now, this is good and bad because, you know, as a developer, you might think, oh, I want to be able to just do what I want. But then that, the, the negative there is you'll get an inconsistency in the way things are developed. So I think for an early, for early days, it's actually fine to work within their constraints. Um, but those are constraints you need to consider if you're making a game. So if you want to make a big uh, a game uh, and you have a vision in mind and there's particular mechanics that you want that's not in there, it's you're not going to get it anytime soon. The sandbox has its own... Um, roadmap that you have you're beholden to at the end of the day if they're not developing a feature let's say it's a multiplayer feature that you want like what i have like there's no pvp yet so there's no point developing pvp games yet although when it does come it's going to be pretty awesome all right and then the other thing is <clears throat> is it hard to make games on the sandbox as a general question you have to understand like to make a good game there's a bigger picture it uh, there's a bigger big picture to it it's not just about the mechanics it's not about just that it's you know there's more to it there's the storytelling there's the marketing of it there's the character design um there's the overall experience for the player how they get in how they get out um you might have things outside of the game to do with the accounts um and how you reach your users so you've got to think about the gamer in mind like do they want to log into this place and have access to these certain things what type of experiences do they want there's a book by tony fidel called build which i've uh been reading and it's pretty awesome he's the guy that you know um he's a cto behind things like nest and basically he's good at building and he's a big 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 name in um silicon valley but he has a nice picture in there which it shows 
you know, the product, so the game in a sense, is just one of like 12 bigger pieces. All right. So what are, what am I developing on the sandbox? So there's a few things. One is I've got a main game called Obsidian Breakers, which I'll get to in, in a second. But I'm also just dabbling. I'm trying to create experiences in there to get an idea of what it takes. Um, and also to keep my knowledge fresh around this blockchain stuff, you have, um, they have uh, game jams, which are basically competitions where they'll be like, hey, for this month, this is the competition. Here's the constraints. We're partnering with some company. So in my case, uh, one of the ones was Ragnarok Online, Gravity Games, uh, which is an old school MMO that, you know, one, was one of my favorite all time games. But essentially they partner with them. Here's a theme. Go and create some games for us with that theme in mind. Here are some general rules. And... Um, all submissions will be taken in a month and then go from there. Cool thing there was I had to learn to make game trailers. It's different to the other types of videos I've made. Um, you want to think about the overall messaging. What's the storyline? What's the experience like? You know, is there a collection quest? Like all these things that you just don't normally, you, you might take for granted in a game. But I've entered a bunch of game jams, maybe five. Uh, I've entered three game jams in total and I've developed one, two, three, four, about five games for those game jams. Two of the five I've won the, nothing major, just the, the nor basically you get awards for, there's some awards for entry. So I've only won those ones. Um, you're competing against studios, like teams of four, and some of them are working full-time on this stuff and you look at the quality that they're building, you're like, okay, cool. I know how they did X, Y, Z, but I, there's just not enough time to get all X, Y, Z in there. And that's fine as well because my goal is to do my main game, which is Obsidian Breakers, and put in a bunch of um, uh, lore that I want to create my universe around. Um, and the sandbox is one way of exploring, like, is this a platform that I can do so I can focus on the game side? Um but yeah, more on that in a second. So yeah, I did a couple of games for, it's called Pororo, if you know that. I made a game there and there was uh, two more that I did around, it was like retro gaming. So I did kind of like a classic Kong type thing with characters that I built, which is cool. So then now you might ask, uh, what what is Obsidian Breakers? Obsidian Breakers is, one of the, is a game that I have been playing with that's kind of like... Uh, it's a different game mode to normal. It's kind of like from the MMO universe type thing, except it's a war. It's a singular war around, um, basically you want to try capture castles at the heart of every castle. There's like a crystal called obsidian. And then you work with your guilds as a team to go and break that uh, obsidian. If you're the breaker of the obsidian, your guild owns the castle. Every other guild's warped out of it. But if it's within, the, imagine there's a one hour time limit where the castle's open they're open to attack back and now you have to defend your castle. That's the core concept. Now, the sandbox doesn't have any of that capability. There is no multiplayer PvP or anything. So in the sandbox, we pivoted it to a, it's a single player game where it plays through more like an, uh, an RPG storyline. So you play as one guild and there's other guilds, but they're pretty much NPCs. And you go through the, the motions of, okay, I've got to equip, collect my equips. I got to explore, um, the world and once the the timer starts so hey the castle's open we can go attack you actually go in and raid the castle you defeat enemies and all that sort of stuff spend a lot of time on it um but that emulates that that kind of experience you face guilds as you go along sometimes they help you in most cases they help you because you have that common goal until you get to the final room where the obsidian is and at that point all the guilds kind of turn on each other 
um, and they start fighting you and your guild's trying to heal you and all that stuff. So I actually pulled off something pretty decent in terms of that guild experience feel with in a solo uh, type setting because they just don't have those features. So that's the unfortunate part. I spent a, a large amount of time developing the map around humans playing it, but once that was gone, it was like, okay, I need to make more challenges within there because the challenge is normally going to be other people with that gone i made challenges within the game so there's many obstacle courses there's um other little challenges around defeating certain enemies and not falling down certain spots and there's platforms and there's bosses and all that sort of stuff so that's obsidian breakers in a nutshell um so what's next what is next and i'm this is going to be a bit of a tease to the next episode but what's next is i want to take obsidian breakers and make it something more because it's always been my dream to make a game make a game that people would stream on twitch so that's one goal another goal is to kind of build that lore and storyline around you know kind of something that i had around an anime that i've always wanted to build but especially i want to do some of this storytelling and build out um certain characters and things like that that you could imagine would be in a comic book let's say so i wanted to develop that and then number three is i just want to create uh, I guess I want to pick, develop some skills around multiplayer stuff, connectivity, um, things that can relate to bigger issues um, and engineering problems that I could solve in the future. So it will give me base skills for all that. So with those three in mind, um, I think my current direction is I want to build out that entire platform and do it properly and not be beholden to a certain platform and what it's got. With that being said, I'm not done with the sandbox, I'd say. I think... Um, there's a lot of fun things that I can do there. Although I may make a change to Roblox because my son, he's now into, <laughs> he's old enough to start gaming and he's been playing Roblox a fair amount. So I've made a world there, but yeah, there's a lot to learn. You have to learn a whole new way of doing things. They got a bit more scripting there, which is fun. But again, a lot of the gaming, a lot of building a game is not the programming. It's not the developing. It's not the platform mechanics, right? It's a lot bigger than that. So all of those things you can take elsewhere, and I think those are the transferable skills that you want. Um, yeah, so that's pretty much where it's going. So next episode, I will touch a little bit more on kind of like, especially the engineers listening to this podcast that expect you to be into side hustling, into building stuff, side projects and things like that to either develop your skills or hopefully make something that becomes something more than maybe the company that you're working at, something that you could do full time. There's ways to make choices on that. And I think I'll give you a couple of considerations, particularly because early days, no one wants to play your game. That's a truth you have to deal with. No one wants to know about your thing. So you have to make something pretty decent, but then you don't want to go so far as to build and put all your life into something that you've had no user feedback the whole way through. Anyway, I'll give you tips on that on the next one. And the last question is, should we invest? You know, someone's <laughs> probably going to ask, do we invest in Sandbox? What do you say here? So number one, there's no financial advice here. That's the first thing. I'm mostly going to be talking about the technology here. So hopefully you learn a little bit more about the Sandbox and what you can maybe develop. I'll have links in the descriptions. And if you go to engineeringinreallife.com forward slash obsidian dash breakers, I have the game concept there. I built um, basic characters, some lore, some you know history of that universe so you can get the theme and the idea of what's there well before i even created the game okay so yeah we're mostly talking technology here so the sandbox i think overall is doing some really good things they're partnering with the right people they have an actual platform whether that leads to long-term success 
that's for someone else to say. I also think what they're doing with NFTs, they've made a shift from, they went from Ethereum um, and now they're going to Matic. I think that's the right choice because I started to create some of these NFT stuff and the gas is, it adds up. Um, so that's one thing. Uh, the other thing that I'm doing here is I'm just sharing my development process. So the things that I've learned, the things that I'm going through, um, factors that you must consider when you're developing games or using any of these platforms. Um, and finally, I'm just trying to inspire you to get out there and build stuff. Go and make something, go and try something, and then you can shit on it versus doing that at the beginning and that prevents you from doing anything. That being said, thanks for listening. I'm glad that people have jumped on the episodes. It's been a while since I've done a few in a row. And yeah, just reach out. Let me know if there's anything else you want to know about.